الحمد الشاكرين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد طب القلوب ودوائها ونور الأبصار وضيائها وعافية الأبدان وشفائها وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد Today's subject, the subject of death and the afterlife, death is something that we are all guaranteed. The definition of death is the separation of the soul from the body. Now, what is mentioned in works like Shaykh al-Sudur of Imam Jalaluddin al-Siyuti rahimahullah ta'ala is that when a fetus is developing in the womb, the angel is commanded to take an extract from the earth to place that minute extract of the earth within the womb of the mother and the, that source of the earth becomes the template for the growth of the fetus in the stomach of the mother. When a person passes away, they are buried in the same ground from where that extract was taken from. So when a person dies, they are buried within that same area from where the initial extract of earth was taken from. And this is the meaning of the verse of Al-Quran Al-Kareem. If you check some of the commentaries of Al-Quran Al-Kareem, of وَمِنْهَا خَلَقَنَاكُمْ that from it, meaning from the earth, we created you. And also in Al-Quran Al-Kareem, وَفِيهَا نُعِيتُكُمْ That we should return you back into the earth. Meaning, وَمِنْهَا خَلَقْنَاكُمْ That we created you from this earth, and we shall return you back to that earth. Some people ask a question, a common question which some people ask, is what happened to the remains of those people die in sea, in the sea if they drown or if their remains are consumed by animals, predators consume their remains. What occurs for them in the grave? How do they face the world of the barzakh? The barzakh is the intermediary or what we may say as ithmas life in the grave. How do they face that? life in the grave, if their body has been consumed. The response is that the base of the spine, there is a bone known as the coccyx bone. The remaining DNA of that bone is never disintegrated entirely. The DNA will always remain. So wherever this person may be, if a wolf consumed a, a human being, the DNA of that human being will either be a part of the wolf will be, or will be a part of the waste of the wolf and then will finally return back to the earth. So everything goes back into the earth irrelevant to whatever may have happened to the rest of the body. And the soul, the ruh, which is taken up is made to ascend is a place in paradise. So the soul is placed in Iliyun, but it is reconnected with the 
base of the spine, the coccyx bone. And then what the person experiences is known as the barzakh. Why is it known as barzakh? Because that state the person is experiencing is the in-between state between this world and the next world. Some of the person is in this world. How? The dead body, when the person dies, the dead body of the person is in this world. But the soul is in the other world and therefore the person is in two states between two worlds. The body, the physical body is in this world, but the soul is in the other world, but the soul and the body continue to be connected. And the experience the person has is known as the barzakh, the barrier world. This of course is something which is guaranteed for all of us. And today, in this day and age, people deny the unseen, the world of the unseen, they say regarding an old man who believed in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala one day he was walking in a graveyard and a disbeliever, an atheist, came up to him and said, why do you believe in God Almighty when you do not see him? So the old man took a brick and hit it off the head of the atheist. Now of course this response would not be appropriate in this day and age. So the, the man, the atheist was taken, took the old man to court, meaning a police case was filed and he was taken to court. The old man, when questioned, why did you strike this atheist in the head? He said, there is no proof. They said, why? He said, he is not bleeding, there is no wound, there is nothing. The atheist responded to this claim by saying, there is pain. So the old man said, show me the pain, I cannot see the pain. The atheist said, I feel the pain. He said, you question me whether I see God or not. I know God exists through my heart and mind. It does not mean that to see Allah Almighty, a person would have to necessarily see Allah Almighty on this earth with the eyes. A person can know and recognize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the heart and the mind. So likewise with the ghayb, the world of the unseen, the only reason we know of the world of the unseen is because of the revelation Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent upon the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Otherwise we would be totally clueless regarding the realm of the unseen also. <coughs> so the realm of the unseen is something, meaning the afterlife, is something that we are all guaranteed. Now in Al-Quran Al-Kareem, which fiqh ruling, meaning rulings, Islamic legal rulings, are detailed more than any other legal ruling. <coughs> meaning, you have different legal rulings, you have rulings relating to salah, prayer, you have legal rulings relating to hajj, zakah, song. Which legal rulings are the most detailed legal rulings in the Quran Karim? The answer is, the legal rulings of Al-Mirath, inheritance laws. Why inheritance laws? Inheritance laws relate to death. That when a person dies, he must have his will ready, a wasiyah, a will ready, and the wealth, the wealth that he has must be distributed amongst his children and his spouse, his, his uh, wife, and in the case of a woman, her husband, 
fairly and equally according to the laws of Islam. But the question is, why inheritance laws is the most detailed law in Al-Quran Al-Kareem? It could have been any other law. It could have been the laws of Salah. It could have been the laws of Zakat. It could have, could have been the laws of Al-Hajj. Why were the laws of inheritance detailed so much in the Quran? The answer is that when people would leave wealth, the wealth would be unfairly distributed amongst their children. And this became dispute, this, the dispute would continue long after the person had died. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the legal rulings of inheritance laws in Al-Quran Al-Kareem that later two people can never dispute because those laws are very clear in the Quran. Other rulings were left in the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah like the Quran states establish the prayer but the details of praying is left to the Messenger of Allah He said in the Sahih of Imam Bukhari, pray the way you have observed me praying. Or like he said, take from me the rights of pilgrimage, meaning the Hajj laws. Likewise, all the different ahadith relating to different acts of worship. But when it came to inheritance laws, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the majority of the inheritance laws in Al-Quran al-Karim. And the chapter in which the majority of the laws were revealed in Surah Al-Nisa, chapter number 4 of Al-Quran Al-Kareem. Why is it called Surah Al-Nisa? Al-Nisa means women. Because most of the time people would take inheritance away from the women. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed an entire chapter for the rights of women and their inheritance. Unfortunately, this still continues, meaning there's a form of jahiliya ignorance still prevalent among certain segments of the Muslim world where they do not leave inheritance for their daughters. They do not leave inheritance for females in the family. And this is because of an attachment to wealth. So people have an attachment to wealth, but leaving the world is also leaving the worldly things and which includes wealth. Abdul Rahman bin Ajawzi from Baghdad, the early scholar, he mentions that there was a man in Baghdad that at the time of his death, he had numerous gold coins, bags of gold coins. And he said, these gold coins, when I die, should be buried with me. And in fact, what he attempted to do at the time of death is consume the gold coins. He attempted to eat the gold coins at the time of death. Now why was this? Because of a intense attachment to worldly things. So this intense attachment to worldly things is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates a world which has evil. So many people ask, why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create evil? The response is, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates evil because he has given us so many favors on earth that if we just utilize the favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on earth, we would be attached to the worldly life. 
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala purposely creates imperfections in this world. So we realize this world is imperfect and we desire to go back to him. That's why at the time of death, when a person faces the angel of death and the wisdom of min sharri ma khalaq, from the evil of what he has created, meaning if you didn't have disputes with other human beings, you would be attached to those human beings. If you didn't have loss of wealth, you would be attached to that wealth. If you didn't have weakness and illness and hunger in this worldly life, you would be attached to the worldly life. So when the angel of death approaches, you would not want to leave. When the angel of death approaches us, we would think, the worldly life is good and perfect. Why would we want to return back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? This is why we recite, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Surely we have come from Allah and to Allah we shall return. So the preparation of this worldly life is preparation to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Many people when lecturing on death, they may frighten people regarding death. But what is death? Death is nothing frightening for a believer. Death is that thing where the believer is going back to his Lord. So the person who realizes his ubudiyah servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he feels at the time of death he is going back to his beloved. He is going back to his creator. And remember, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also sends to us on a daily basis rasailul hub letters of love someone may say how does allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send a letter of love to me every day one example every day when you wake up and you have a shower and you shower yourself and that water that you utilize if you did not have that shower for three days in fact i would say for two days what would be your state if you did not have access to that clean water is this not a letter of love from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you have a ni'mah, a favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he allows you to have access to clean water? This is a letter of love from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why when so many people, they question multiple motives of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala regarding his divine actions, they never mention the divine favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If they mention earthquakes, they would say an earthquake occurs on earth. Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create such a disaster? But they may never mention 99.9% of the earth at that time was not quaking, did not have an earthquake. Likewise, 99.9% .9 of the time, none of the regions of the earth have an earthquake. Meaning, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala overwhelms any punishment or any creation of imperfections. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala purposely creates imperfections on this worldly plane. But what the wisdom behind those things may vary from different things. An example is that snakes, only a small percentage of snakes are actually poisonous. Many snakes are not poisonous, but human beings go around killing all snakes. But why are the non-poisonous snakes there? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created them for the ecosystem. 
They are there to serve a purpose. So even a snake has a purpose. But many times we may not be familiar with regard to that purpose for which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may have created that particular imperfection or may have created that particular creature. Even going to relieve oneself on a daily basis in the toilet, someone may wonder why is this there? Why do we have to do this on a daily basis? The answer is that the human ego without constraints is such a thing that when the human being sees his abilities, observes his abilities that Allah has given him, he may become so arrogant that we have the likes of Fir'aun who, regarding whom they say for 40 years he never even suffered a headache, Fir'aun. That what did he do? He started to claim being God Almighty. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us through our own bodies on a daily basis when we sit down and crouch on a toilet, especially these ground toilets we have in the masajid, they can humble a person. If you bring the likes of Donald Trump to one of those toilets, he will be humbled in the most humbling manners. Meaning that is the way those to toilets are. That if someone needs to crouch twice a day on the floor, it reminds them of their reality. That they are a human being. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, خُلِقَ الْإِنسَانُ ضَعِيفًا Human, humanity was created weak. That the creation of humanity is weakness. So moat, death, is one of those things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. And in fact, death is an actual creation, a being that exists. Someone may say how? The way night, someone may say darkness is the absence of light. Or cold is the absence of heat but in reality cold is, an, is a, an actual existent entity likewise darkness is an actual existent entity likewise life is an actual existent entity and also death is an actual existent entity death is something that is rea a reality why do some people prefer attending funerals over weddings because at the time of a wedding a person people tend to show their extravagance people will wear their best clothes and they will hire the best cars they will give the best food they will show much extravagance in a wedding party but at the time of death when you visit a family that has tasted, or one of the members of the family has tasted death, you visit that family, the family will be humble. The family will be subdued. By what? By the visitation of death. But by that person leaving them. So how do we attain firstly a good death? Imam Jalaluddin Abdul Rahman al-Suyuti mentions three reasons for a bad death. Three reasons for a bad death. <coughs> Number one, he says, abandoning prayer. Ihanatu salah. Or tarku salah. Abandoning prayer. The second is 
حقوق الوالدين disobeying parents and the third is إذاعوا المسلمين harming other Muslims any one of those three will lead to a bad death and in the hadith of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam mentioned that zina, fornication and alcohol consumption of alcohol are two sins that can lead to salbul iman, the negation of iman faith at the time of death why does this happen? because a person becomes intoxicated in that particular sin to such a degree that when the intoxication of that sin overwhelms that individual they may deem that sin as being permissible in order to justify the egotistical and desire the desires that the person may have so this is why intoxication consumption of intoxicants and zina regarding zina <laughs> meaning fornication and adultery sleeping out of wedlock which when it becomes common in a community Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates diseases amongst those people such diseases that their forefathers never heard of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا الزِّنَا إِنَّهُ كَانَ فَاحِشَةً وَسَاءَ سَبِيلًا that do not even approach zina do not even go near zina woman is such a thing Imam Muhammad al-Ghazali rahimahullah ta'ala he mentions an incident a man was walking in the marketplace just before Zohar time, after Fajr time, before Zohar time. In the marketplace, he saw a woman in a veil, dressed in a face veil, and her entire body covered. But the eyes were showing. And when the eyes were showing, they enticed the man. Now, with regard to lowering the gaze, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the word yaghuddu absaram. The word yaghudda is to, to cut something. And the Quran commands men and women to, to lower their gaze if they see something inappropriate. Why? What is the effect? Azka, that it is more pure for yourself. What happens if a person is regularly looking at haram? Shahwa, desires grow inside and then the person is led to do those things which are inappropriate. So the man, that if he lowers the gaze, the mind and the heart is then tranquil. So this man, he saw the eyes of the woman and he became enticed. And the woman had a seductive nature with the glances of the eyes. So the man started to follow the woman. When he followed the woman, <coughs> suddenly the Mu'adhin gave the Adhan for Zohar prayer. He heard the Adhan, the call to prayer, but the woman continued walking and the desire grew inside of him, meaning to commit haram, prohibited acts. 
Eventually, the woman walked out of the marketplace, meaning the markets, the souk, was huge, but eventually they walked out. When they continued walking, the woman stayed at a distance, and the man continued being enticed, seduced, until eventually the Asa prayer, the late noon prayer Adhan was given. He had missed the Lord prayer. He continued following the woman. When he continued following the woman, they walked out into a country area. If you've been to the city of Fars, you'll no notice in the old city, in the old market, if you go down here, you will eventually reach green areas. This is how old Arab cities were. When they entered the country areas, she continued inside enticing them until darkness started to cover the horizon. They entered a graveyard. When they entered the graveyard, he heard the Adhan, the call for prayer for Maghrib. But his desires had overwhelmed him. Then the woman went down some steps into a dungeon, meaning in some places they have dungeons, uh, sepulchres for the burial of dead bodies. He entered the dungeon and the woman locked the door. When she locked the door, the man was under the impression that some act of haram will occur. The woman removed the veil and what the face was that of a haggard old woman with no beauty whatsoever, in fact a repulsive and frightening face. The man asked the woman, who are you? She said, I am the dunya of the world and disintegrated. This similitude of this worldly life is such that this worldly life is love and la'ab, amusement and play, that a person will be amused and will waste his time until finally death will reach him. And when death reaches him, the state he has been living his life, that is the state in which he will die. The state he lived in is the state he will die in. So if all his life he has been consuming alcohol and performing zina, fornication. Those desires will overwhelm the heart. Regarding zina, fornication, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, إِنَّهُ كَانَ فَاحِشَةً Fahisha is a word which encompasses all immoral acts. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that surely Allah commands al-adl justice. Hmm. This verse of Al-Quran Al-Kareem, some of the companions alayhim or the stated it is the most comprehensive verse of Al-Quran Al-Kareem. Why? Because it contains everything good and everything bad. But the word al-fahsha 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describing zina as fahishatan, an immoral act. What does this fahisha mean <coughs> aside from diseases? It leads to illegitimate children, and in some cases abortion, and in some cases abandonment of the child in an orphan orphanage. Sometimes when the young girl will become pregnant, she will panic and leave the child at an orphanage. Likewise, abortions, likewise infanticide, meaning killing young children. So this is all the result of one sin, which is the sin of zina. So these five things which are mentioned are some of the asbab of sul khatima, the reasons for a bad death. So what would be the reasons for a good death? Firstly, abandoning those sins. When a person abandons those sins, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates the sweetness of Iman in their heart. Some people, they com complain, they say, when they pray, they do not feel the sweetness of salah, prayer, or the sweetness of the ibadat, acts of worship that they perform. If we re-examine ourselves, you will notice that is the result of certain sins. And Imam Malik bin Dinar, rahimahullah ta'ala, he states, whoever has hardness of heart, his heart feels hard. Meaning, when they are admonished, they feel, they do not feel the effect of the admonishment. Likewise, his body has pains, different types of pains. Likewise, similarly, he feels that his risk, his sustenance is decreasing. So people today, they complain about pain in the body, they complain about sustenance decreasing. And Imam Malik bin Dinar states, this is the result of discussing that which does not concern it. The hadith states, min husni islam al-mar'i from the beauty of the Islam, the meaning of Islam is submission to Allah. The beauty of the submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that a person leaves, abandons that which does not concern him. So if that is the result of discussing just with the tongue something that does not concern us, imagine if someone is committing the major sin on a daily basis meaning doing major sins of abandoning salah, of prayer, committing different types of haram prohibited acts, how will that affect him on a daily basis? It will affect the mind, it will affect the body, it will affect the soul, all these different sins. And then when the person is engrossed in those sins to a certain extent, at the time of death, he will be unable to even pronounce the shahada, the testimony of faith. In one hadith, a young man was on the pang, was facing the pangs of death. The people attempted to make him utter the testimony of faith. Now, how you do this at the time is you just recite the testimony of faith. You say, La ilaha illallah, Sayyiduna Muhammadur Rasulullah. The person is able, he will utter the pronouncement of faith, the testimony of faith. When the young man was unable to do so, they 
brought this to the attention of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi wa Wasallam. The Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi wa Wasallam inquired from the young man, what sin have you done that you are unable to utter, or what have you done that you are unable to utter the testimony of faith? He said, I am disobedient to my mother. So the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam summoned his mother <coughs> and he said if we place firewood and make a fire and we place your son into that fire would you be pleased? She said no. So the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said be pleased and forgive your son in order that he does not enter the hellfire. So she forgave him and he was able to pronounce the testimony of faith. If this is the effect of just disobeying the mother, that at the time of death he was unable to pronounce. By the way, some people ask, if my mother has already passed away, then how do I make up with my mother? The answer is, you supplicate for your mother on a daily basis, and you visit the grave of your mother and supplicate for her. Insha'Allah, if Allah willing, in Adam al-Barzakh, the world, the Isthmus world, your mother will forgive you. And this is the way of attaining Ridha al-Walidayn, the pleasure of the parents after they have passed away. Because there is firstly, there is Ridha Allah, first is Ridha Allah, the pleasure of Allah, then Ridha al-Walidayn, then the pleasure of the parents. These are the two things a person must always pursue. So these are some of the reasons why a person has a bad death. But unfortunately, the mind and the soul is distracted. People are distracted on a daily basis. Even people who ostensibly they start praying, initially they may feel the sweetness of the prayer, the pleasure of praying five times a day, but then the pleasure is removed. Why is it removed? Khushur in prayer. The answer is there are certain types of sins that the person is committing and the person is unaware of what sin they are committing. They need to concentrate and realize what sin am I committing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has removed the pleasure of humility in prayer. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has removed the sweetness of prayer from my heart. So when the soul dies and the person is in the grave, when the soul is removed, not the soul dies, meaning the person dies, and the soul is removed and the person is in the grave. The body is placed in the grave and the person experiences that firstly the ascension of the soul. Now this ascension for a believer is through the seven concentric layers of heaven. And the person is taken through the dominions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Someone may say, how quickly does this occur? The answer is, this doesn't occur as quick as we may think. This time is something relative that one second in this world may be equivalent to a billion years in the other world. Meaning time is what relative? Or one second or a billion years in this world could be one second in that world. Time is something which is relative to the motion of bodies, meaning the quicker the earth goes around the sun, the quicker time goes by. 
Likewise, the quicker the, the earth rotates on its own axis, the quicker time goes. So time is something relative that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created. But the person experiences the life of Barzah. What does a Muslim experience? The first thing a Muslim is questioned regarding is of course his Iman, his belief. Now Sayyidina Umar when he was informed regarding Adab al-Qabr, the punishment of the grave and the questioning inside of the grave, he inquired from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, O Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, will I have my intellect at the time? The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam replied in the affirmative, that at that time you shall have your intellect. So Sayyidina Umar said then it is sufficient I have my intellect that I will be able to respond to the angels. What does this mean? That if your mind is functioning and you are able to rationalize your belief at the time when the angels ask you who is your Lord you'll respond Allah meaning the mind is still working in the grave not the physical brain, the mind, meaning which is associated both with the spirit, the ruh, and the, the brain. But the ruh the per still has a connection with the body, and the person is asked, who is your Lord? The person will respond, Allah. Likewise, what is your religion? Al-Islam, which means submission, meaning our religion is submitting to Allah. and what did you say regarding this man, meaning Sayyidina Muhammad And the person responds, Muhammad Rasulullah knowing why he believes in the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The first thing, the first test in the grave is regarding Iman, belief. How does a person safeguard his Iman? The similitude of Iman is like a tree. And the similitude of a'mal, actions, is like water for that tree. If you do not have good actions that water that tree on a regular basis, then the, what will happen? The roots will dry, and once the roots will dry, what will happen to the tree? The tree will also die. This is the similitude of good actions. Meaning, do not think that your iman faith is safeguarding if you do not do good actions. Good actions are something that safeguard Iman, preserve Iman. The first good action a person must do is save themselves from sins. Now some people may think, do we have a reward in avoiding sins? The answer is yes. A young man who has access to different types of haram, different types of prohibited acts, but for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not for the sake of society or uh, for the sake of people, for the sake of Allah, he avoids those sins, his reward will be immense. Meaning the angels write down each time he avoids a sin. Just like that sin of zina, fornication, he avoids fulfilling his desire through haram, through prohibited acts. Each time he avoids that sin, an angel writes down, one good deed, in fact, 
the angel writes down 10 good deeds. Why? What is the good deed? Avoiding the haram is a good deed. Likewise, a person who has the ability to have alcohol, but he avoids alcohol for the sake of Allah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, note, no, just avoiding that sin is 10 good deeds. Is 10 good deeds if he carries out that bad deed. One of those deeds will erase the bad deed. Look at the immense mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning, there is no despair in the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One individual, Sidi Ayman Abdul Qadir, who passed away in the year 2011, he died. Once he died, one of our close friends saw him in his dream. When he saw him in his dream, he said to him, how do you feel in the barzakh? What have you experienced in the barzakh? He responded that Muslims on earth, he was a person who accepted Islam 40 years prior. 40 years prior, he accepted Islam. He said, Muslims on earth are not realizing how immense the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is here. Meaning, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is such that when I avoid zina, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala writes down this good deed of avoiding zina by ten times. But if a person commits zina, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would command the angels write down only once. This is how immense the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is for the believer. So abandoning sins is the way of safeguarding iman, of saving and preserving one's iman. Additional to this, actions, when a person is buried, Al-Imam Muhammad Al-Hubayshi mentions this, you extract a handful of soil from his grave. When you extract a handful of soil from the, the soil that is extracted, before, when you bury the person, you place the body into the grave with a handful of soil. <coughs> you recite Surah to Inna Anzalnao Fi Laylatil Qadr with Bismillah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Inna Anzalnao Fi Laylatil Qadr. Seven times. And you blow on the soil. You place the soil into the ground, into the grave. The first handful of soil into the grave. That person you are buried will never, inshallah, Allah willing, face the punishment of the grave. Subhanallah. <laughs> Likewise, a companion <coughs> mentioned that once he fell asleep inadvertently on top of the grave. It's a lot. <laughs> when he fell asleep on top of the grave, inadvertently, not knowing there is a grave, he saw in a dream, remember, Alam al-Barzakh, the world of the dreams, is linked 
to Alim al-Barzakh, meaning the world of dreams is linked to the world of the grave. Both things are linked. This, of course, is a subject for another time. But when he fell asleep, he heard inside of the grave a person reciting Surah Al-Mulk. So he awoke him. This awoke him. After awaking, he went back to the Messenger of Allah informing the Messenger of Allah regarding this. The Messenger of Allah said, Inna Munjiya Shuri'it min Suratul Mulk. The first chapter of the 29th Jews of Al Quran Karim is that which gives salvation from what? From Adab al punishment of the grave. Now, the first impending trial that we are going to face is our own death. So when we face our own death, at that time, a person should always stay in a constant state of wudu. Meaning, one of the benefits of staying in wudu, aside from the fact that it alleviates anxiety, it alleviates other things as well, one of the additional benefits is when he observes the angel of death coming towards him, what can that person do? He can start in prayer straight away. So if we observe the angel of death is coming, the person is in a state of wudu, quickly faces Qibla and does takbir. He dies in the state of prayer. The benefit of staying in a constant state of wudu. When he dies, the second stage is firstly the soul is extracted from the feet and then the last place is from the top of the head. This is why the eyes roll upwards. And likewise, when the soul was placed, it was placed firstly from the top of the head. What realm is the soul ascending to? He observes the Malakut. Mulk is the observable kingdom of Allah. What we observe? Malakut is the hidden realm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What he has created. After ascending, if the person enters into the heavens, his soul shall be placed in Aliyin. If he's a sinful Muslim, his soul will be made to wait for a while. And a disbeliever, the soul will be sent to Sijin. The third stage is when that soul is reconnected with the body. So wherever the body may be, even if a wolf has consumed the body, and in this third stage is where the questioning of the grave starts. So this is the third stage. And in the questioning of the grave you have Al-Munkar and Al-Nakir, the two angels that come for questioning. This is where the actions of a person will have. A'mal. One of those actions is the recitation of Surah Al-Mulk. Reciting Surah Al-Mulk every night. After Maghrib time, <coughs> all the way up until 
the start of dawn prayer, Fajr prayer, if a person recites Surah Al-Mulk, Surah Al-Mulk will be a protection for that person in his grave. Oh, but how do we consistently recite Surah Al-Mulk? <coughs> An easy method is the following. After you finish your Maghrib prayer, what do we pray? Two Sunnah prayers. In those two Sunnah prayers, recite your Surah Al-Mulk. Meaning you must memorize Surah Al-Mulk. If you are unable to memorize Surah Al-Mulk, then the only way is to recite from the Quran itself. And if you are unable to even recite the Quran Karim, then you listen to Surah Al-Mulk every night. But those of us who have memorized Surah Al-Mulk, what they should do is when they pray the two Sunnahs, pray the Surah Al-Mulk in those two Sunnahs. You will never miss your Surah Al-Mulk. Even in travel, in journey, some people, when they travel, they think they need to pray the Sunnah prayers outside of the car. The only prayers are, which are necessary outside of the car are the Fard prayer, the obligatory prayer, and the Wit prayer, and the two Sunnahs of Fajr. But every other Sunnah you can pray in the car, sitting down, whichever direction the car may go. If you are a traveler, oh, meaning... No. You travel out onto the motorway with the intention of traveling 57.5 miles. Whichever direction your car may go, you pray your Sunnah prayers. So even while traveling in the Sunnah prayers, you recite your Surah Al-Mulk. You will never miss your Surah Al-Mulk. Likewise, when Sayyiduna Abdullah bin Mas'ud was on the verge of passing away, Sayyiduna Uthman said to him, shall we not write down a will and leave something for your daughters? He had many daughters. He said, I have taught them Surah Al-Waqi'ah and they shall never face poverty as long as they read, recite Surah Al-Waqi'ah every night. Subhanallah. Surah Al-Waqi'ah, this chapter of the Quran, anyone who recites this every night, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saves him from poverty. So again, if a person recites that chapter also every night, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shall make asbab means in this worldly life by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shall sustain him. Likewise, whenever a person enters the house, if they recite Surah Al-Ikhlas three times, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shall not only erase poverty from that house, and not only erase debt from that house, he shall erase debt from the houses of the neighbors also. The effect of just reciting Surah Al-Ikhlas three times whenever you enter the house. Now, in the great Surah Al-Mulk is one of those things which saves a person. But punishment in the grave is also a reality. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi passed by a grave and the two men were, who were in the grave were being punished for two things. One was being punished for urine on the clothes and the other was being punished for namima. Namima is what? Tail bearing. Namima is when a person tells one person a, a thing regarding others or tells others a tale regarding another person. Likewise, riba, backbiting, which by the way, riba is a worse sin than zina. 
riba backbiting is a worse sin than zina. So when they were being punished for these two things, why were they being punished for these two specific things? Number one, the first punishment for urine was because cleaning oneself relates to ibadat, acts of worship, meaning if you are not clean, you cannot pray. So the greatest hukuk, <clears throat> the rights are two. One is hukukullah, the rights of Allah. The other is the rights of servants. The hukukullah start with the tongue. These, the hukukul uh, ibad start with the tongue. The hukukullah start with tahara, purification. So from the lowest haq, the lowest right, the two men were being punished. After that, the punishment would move to another sin. After that, the punishment would move to another sin. This is why there are some Muslims who will be punished in their graves and then the punishment will stop. Why? Because they are paid for their sins. And on the Day of Judgment, when they are resurrected, those sins no longer exist. Even the sins relating to the rights of others. So when people will bring up, Ya Allah, he did this to me on, on the Day of Judgment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will inform them that this person has already paid for that sin when he was punished in the grave. But how does a person safeguard himself even from the punishment of the grave? Through reciting Surah Al-Mulk. So, when a person passes that test of the angels asking him, what is your religion? And what, who is your Lord? And what did you say regarding this person? The person is then shown <coughs> Jannah, paradise. Observing the realm of paradise, how is he able to observe? Because I said the soul is taken up to Iliyin. He's observing with the soul. He's observing with the soul. Observing the, soul, the paradise would entail that time passes by very quickly. When time passes by, this is why time is relative. The Day of Judgment will occur. Now, the Day of Judgment occurring, what occurs in the graves is that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala flattens everything on earth, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will eventually send down something known as Ma'ul Hayat, the water of life. This water of life, when it comes down, when it seeps through every nook and cranny of the earth, it will eventually touch the DNA of the coccyx bone. When it touches that, the body will regrow. The body that will be resurrected, the new body, will be different to the body on earth for majority of the people. Meaning majority of the people, their bodies disintegrate. Their bodies rot. The exception being the Anbiya alayhi salatu was salam and the martyrs. And the be a person who gave adhan, but whose adhan is accepted. The person whose adhan is accepted. <coughs> Their bodies are preserved. But anyone who his body has rotted away, then the, the remnants of the DNA remains. And the, the ma'ul hayat, the water of life, shall touch that part and the body shall grow again. 
these bodies will be resurrected for the day of judgment. This answers the question some atheists ask. They say, how will the people of Hellfire be able to cope with such a burden of a punishment when their skins will be burnt and then the skins will regrow and then burn again? When we burn our finger on earth, we feel the pain. The answer is the punishment is equivalent to the bodies of that realm also. Meaning, the punishment is in equivalence to the bodies that will be resurrected. The bodies then will be different to the bodies today. But when the person is resurrected on the plane <coughs> of the Day of Judgment, the a'mal, the actions will be weighed. When those actions will be weighed, if the punishment of the grave has not removed all those sins, then what will occur? That the sins will be weighed against the good deeds. But is this a time for despair? Firstly, should a person despair regarding the life in the grave? The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said, Increase the remembrance of the destroyer of pleasures. Destroyer of pleasures. What is the destroyer of pleasures? Death. Increase in its remembrance. But a believer should never despair. Because why? When a believer faces the pangs of death, firstly he is returning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The rasailul hub, the letters of love which he received from Allah, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not love him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not have conferred all these different favors upon him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not have given him the bounty and favor of Iman faith. So he is going to visit the one meaning whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the hereafter, the one who has been sending to him on a regular basis letters on the Rasailul Hub. And a Muslim <coughs> should never despair of his actions because now the believer has the chance to do Tawbah. So the effect of Tawbah today, inshallah, before we leave this majlis, this gathering, we shall all do Tawbah together collectively. Meaning, Tawbah from our sins. That we have Iman, we have belief, that we commit sin, we commit different types of sins. But what is the effect of Tawbah? The Hadith states that the repentant of a sin is like the one who has no sin. Meaning when you do Tawbah, it is as if you had no sin. Also the Hadith states, كُلُّ بَنِي آدَمَ خَطَّاءٌ وَخَيْرُ الْخَطَّائِنَ التَّوَّابُونَ Every offspring of Adam السلام, are wrongdoers. Of course, the exception is Anbiya. But the best of wrongdoers are those who repent. So, in summary, if we prepare for our death, how should we prepare for our death? Firstly, by increasing in our istighfar, in, in reciting astaghfirullah azim, inna hukana ghafar. The effect of astaghfirullah azim is so powerful 
that Imam al-Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah ta'ala and Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal rahimahullah ta'ala would give this invocation, would give this litany to everyone who would have any problem. So anyone come with a problem, they would say, recite, Astaghfirullah al-Azim, innahu kana ghafara, abundantly, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will resolve your problem. Any problem you have, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will resolve your problem. So, there is a famous story of an Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal which I have mentioned in new, on numerous occasions, but I will mention again because not everyone may have heard that incident that it is related regarding an Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal ta'ala, that one day he left the city of Baghdad to go and visit another city. At the time of Isha prayer, he prayed Isha prayer in the masjid. The caretaker of the masjid, when everyone had evacuated the masjid, ordered Al-Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal to leave also, saying that the masjid door shall be locked. So Al-Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal went outside in the masjid courtyard and fell asleep in the courtyard. When he fell asleep in the courtyard, the caretaker was doing his rounds. He saw Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, he became very angry. Now in those days, they never had Facebook to know that this is Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal. So what did he do? He dragged Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal from the feet and threw him out onto the street, saying, you are not permitted to sleep here. Imam Ahmad, walking on the street, saw across the road, a furnace burning in the shop of a baker. He thought to himself, he can go to this shop and request from the baker that he has the permission to sleep in the warmth of the shop because the night was cold. Remember in the Middle East, the nights are cold like the days are hot. Meaning out of summertime, the nights are very cold. So he went to the baker and he said, can I request that I sleep on the side of the furnace tonight because I have no place to stay. The baker said, I bake bread all night and then in the morning after the dawn prayer, I sell the bread. So I, I will be working here all night, you are permitted to sleep. So Imam Ahmad bin Hamdul Ta'ala rested <coughs> on the side of the warmth of the furnace, on the side of the furnace where he could feel the warmth. While attempting to sleep, he observed the baker, and the baker each time he would bake a piece of bread, he would say, Astaghfirullah al-Azim inna ukana ghafara. Astaghfirullah al-Azim inna ukana ghafara. Remember, whatever a person recites when making food, that food has that effect on you when you eat that food. This explains why so many People have no mercy in their hearts anymore because they eat haram. When they eat haram, the haram has an effect on the heart. One of those effects that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removes mercy from their hearts. Imam Ahmad sat up and he said, May I ask you what effect have you observed by reciting Astaghfirullah al-Azim inna ghafara by abundance? Abundantly. 
the man said that whatever supplication I make to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that supplication is answered. Except one supplication. That supplication is that I supplicated to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he makes me meet Al-Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal of Baghdad. Al-Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal rahimahullah ta'ala said to him, the effect of your istighfar was so powerful that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had me dragged out of his house in the masjid, forced onto the streets and made me come to you. Subhanallah. That's the effect of reciting astaghfirullah or reciting astaghfirullah in abundance. With reciting istighfar in abundance, the person's risk is increased, his health is improved, the state of his children is improved, the state of his home is improved, his sins are forgiven, his worldly life is improved, his sustenance and his wealth is improved, and also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cleanses his heart, by which eventually he will be able to leave all the sins that he is committing, and finally be able to observe his five daily prayers. Al-Imam Muhammad al-Sanusi says, anyone who finds it difficult to pray five times a day, because of the ghalba, dominance of shahwat, desires of the heart, let him increase in saying La ilaha illallah in abundance. When he increases in saying La ilaha illallah in abundance, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will create the love of ibadah, the love of worship in his heart. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable us to do tawbah, repent for our sins, stop doing any sins that we may have been doing, and we ask him to remind us of our own impending death that we could take any time and our graves that we could end up in tomorrow. Meaning there are people who perform Juma and then by the next Juma they are already in their graves. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable us to prepare for that afterlife.